Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers Yankee Doodle Beanbag Chairs, now available in the novelty furniture department. Featuring new gay patterns like Screaming Eagle, Tea Party, Footlong Franks, and everyone's favorite American, David Hasselhoff. As they are seconds from the U.S., bullet casings may be found in the filling. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! I'm Brandon! And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about are you being served? Hello, unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, unanimous. Hello, um, podcast world. How have you been? Hi, Gladys. It's been, um, oh, Gladys. She's uh, Morse coding that she has her um, reruns of Dallas coming on very soon. She wants to know if we can hurry <laughs> it up. So, yeah. Oh, well. Honey, they, we, they know who shot JR 30, 40 years ago. Anyway. Ah. Oh. Speaking of television, <laughs> you know, Mr. Jeff, we've heard from a lot of the unanimous listeners that they freaking loved the unanimous episode, didn't they? Um, they did. They did indeed, Mr. <laughs> Brandon. We're so glad to hear it because that's the whole reason we made it was for you, the unanimous. Yay. Yeah, it was nice to hear from everybody, especially the folks who we featured. If you've not listened to it, go back in your magic podcast device thing and, and listen to the shiny, happy people. Uh, so thanks again to the eight or nine or ten, whatever amount of folks who took the time and said hello. And if you didn't get a chance to uh, leave us a message and be featured on the episode, we'll do it. We're very needy. We need like all of the affirmation and content <laughs> possible. Um, feel free to shoot us a message at any time and we'll include you on a future episode, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, Unanimous. Yeah. Please do. Um, we've also heard from some of our listeners who are unfortunately sick with COVID right now. Yeah. Uh, with the Omicron variant um, here in uh, the New York area. Northern Mississippi. Uh, Northern Mississippi, mm -hmm. excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the cases and the transition numbers are starting to go down, but that isn't the case in the rest of the country and not the rest of the world. So... Uh, if you're feeling under the weather right now, we're you know our thoughts are with you. Make sure to drink plenty of fluids, get your rest, stay inside, 
Um, and everyone else, please continue to mask up. It's only a little while longer. Um, once once the warm weather breaks through, you know we're going to get through this. And get your booster shot. And um, I can think of no better thing that if you have some time off from work when you're trying to get over this hump of uh, COVID. And luckily, it's not hitting people too very badly if you're boosted and vaccined. Um, I can recommend a specific podcast for you to listen to. And a specific <laughs> television show, which shall be named uh, Nameless, actually, because you should get it by now or at least be a fan. Um, so, yeah, we've heard some from some folks saying, you know, I've had COVID and da-da-da, but I've been listening to your podcast. Uh, so that was nice. So feel better, folks. But we have also been hearing from other people from email, have we not, Mr. Jeff? That's true, Mr. Brandon. We've gotten a ton of emails in addition to all of the accolades for the unanimous episode. Uh, we heard from Jason in Australia, who used to watch the show with his great-grandmother and has a nice collection of John Inman music that he shared with us. <laughs> Go to, like, a record shop. Excuse me, where's the John Inman section? We heard from Tristan in Canada, who was a baker and listens to us while he makes his macaron. Yes, so, I think he's in the Toronto area. Hello. Maybe. Or somewhere. Um, we also <laughs> heard from Peter who went to college with James Vanderbeek and myself. So shout out to Mr. Peter. I didn't realize Northern Mississippi University had more than three graduates, but hey, you know, <laughs> that's good. They've tripled their numbers somehow. One and a half yeah. to three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's the half? Uh, it's a long story. <laughs> uh, we heard from Crystal, who let us know that BritBox has removed um, Season 4, Episode 7, The Father Christmas Affair. It was only a matter of time. Uh, because of the blackface at the very end, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and we also heard from new Facebook fans. We heard from Joey, Kenda, Elaine, Antonio, Tristan, Shelley, Cammy, Scott, Jathleen, Tice, Christopher, Henry, Crystal, Mariana, Miranto, Jessica, Leah, Jalen, David, Carrie, and Jason. Welcome, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Special uh, shout out to Ms. Jalen. Thanks for liking the show. Hello. Yeah. Uh, and we also got a very special email um, that is not directly related. It's tangentially, tangentially related. We love tangentially served. related things, don't we, Mr. Jeff? <laughs> we do, we do indeed. In case you haven't caught on, this entire podcast is one big tangent. You know, that reminds me of the time um, I was in uh, New Hampshire one time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long way from northern Mississippi to New Hampshire, Mr. Brandon. Well, that, the, the, um, the journey there is the story, and it goes like this. <laughs> The listener asked us, um, because we make a lot of references to RuPaul's Drag Race on this show, and this listener isn't particularly fond of the TV show or of the art of drag, uh, the listener said, well, you know, I understand and agree that black box, um, that blackface has always been wrong, and you, know, you, you reference it uh, in the show, but you're both fans of drag and drag race, isn't drag just a form of blackface because you have mostly cis men who are dressing up and painting their face and changing their features to look like women so is it are, are they similar or are they the same thing i think that was a really pro thought-provoking question so thank you to the listener who sent that in wow um and so i i guess my you go first. It, <laughs> I guess my standpoint on it is that blackface was traditionally done by white men who were the oppressors of black people. The art of drag as we know it today 
uh, it was traditionally done by uh, queer men who are not the oppressors of women, even though queer men do benefit from the patriarchy. And if you've ever been to a gay bar, you know that there is misogyny afoot in the in the gay community. So I think that's that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, from my viewpoint, is that I think that drag queens were some of the first people in our society to understand that gender is a construct. And mm, a lot yeah. of these drag queens are poking fun at the construct. You know, uh, the, the, the listener had forwarded some emails with some pictures of some drag queens who over-exaggerate and go, you know, grotesque or almost drag thing with the way that they paint their lips and their eyes and their features, right? Like, if you think about Trixie Mattel does not try to emulate a human woman. You know, she tries to emulate a Barbie doll and all of the over-exaggerations of that toy. So I think it's a very thought-provoking question that is open for debate. I don't think that drag and blackface are as closely related as this listener feared they might be. But I could also be very wrong about this because I didn't go to school for sociology. (laughs) <laughs> well, um, I have read a, f- a few sociology magazines in doctor's <gasps> offices. Just for the pictures, um, though, right? I know, right? <laughs> just, for the, just for the articles. Um, no, it's a really good question, and I think this does go back to the show, because um, my favorite scenes of, of our being served are probably John Emmon in drag. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we had another um, on Twitter... Uh, sorry, I forgot your 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 name, but um, he sent us a great video, which we've been sent previously, of John Inman with another drag artist doing a drag act in London in the 70s. And uh, it was like pantomime, you know. Um, it's a very interesting question. We've discussed blackface at length. Um, I think blackface was used by white men and women to portray black folks as very simple and therefore our entertainment only. I think drag is the opposite. I don't think there's really, I mean, it's a good question to ask, but I think there's a vast gulf between the two. I think drag is uh, usually gay men because gay men, we probably feel a little bit more free to play with the concept of gender because we've questioned our Mm -hmm. gender because who we're attracted to, blah, blah, blah. I've, I've heard drag described as wanting to emulate the most beautiful aspects of powerful women. Mm -hmm. And as gay men, a lot of folks would probably agree, um, if you ask a gay man who are some powerful women, we can easily name five. Mrs. Slocum, Mm -hmm. right? Um, (laughs) Who knows? We can go on and on. And I think drag is trying to, through using your, your, your own body and face as your own medium for art, you're trying to emulate these aspects of these powerful women. Um, which, when you compare that to my definition of blackface earlier, they're pretty different. But what the hell? It's, it's a cool question to ask, and it's cool that we were asked it. Yeah. And we've had Dean Arcurion from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Frock Hudson. Yes, Frock Hudson, um, who's a drag queen. Um, so maybe it'd be cool to like pose this question. You know, if folks, if you're out there and you're a drag queen, uh, drag king, drag queen. Um, let us know what you think. Blackface, drag queens. I see them very different, and I see them as not quite yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. But it's a cool question to ask. 
So or if, you if you did go to school for sociology or gender studies, please weigh in and let us know. Or if you were the fourth, yeah. g- third graduate at uh, Northern Mississippi University. <laughs> right? um, let's say we talk about um, are you being served kind of. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> so I guess we we're just going to have to. promised the listeners for two years oh. that we're going to. So we have to. All right. Well, you've all done very well. Uh, hope you're doing well with COVID if you got it. Try not to get it if you can. Drink lots of fluids. And I guess go on YouTube and search up Beans of Boston. Spelled B-E-A-N-E apostrophe S. Beans with an E. Yeah. So I will say, uh, if you want to watch this episode, there are two of them. And there's only one source in the entire world where this is preserved. It was aired on television in 1979. Um... We can get into that a little bit further, but if you watch it, the episode, it's really grainy. There's like lines going through it. It's from VHS tape from 1979. So that's what, 43, 44 years old. Um, you got to stick with it. And uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it's just, it's like, what if you could, what if you were having a fever dream? I don't want to say that because people might have COVID. <laughs> but okay, let's think about it. Um what if you were having a nightmare and and you dreamed that Jeremy Lloyd and David Croft weren't actually British, but they were, like, born in Los Angeles? <laughs> and every Britishism that you knew of Are You Being Served was ripped out. That is Beans of Boston. And it was a terrible pilot and it wasn't picked up. With Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, Breck uh, shampoo commercials thrown in. It was odd seeing commercials. Yeah. I love how they said, we're eating healthy. That's why we're eating KFC. They use fresh (laughs) chicken. I'm like, don't call it fresh, healthy food. I don't know. (laughs) So shall we just dive into it? So what the hell is this episode all about? Let's get into it. Oh, my God. Okay. So the Beans of Boston pilot premiered on CBS on Saturday, May 5th, 1979. So this would have been in between series six and seven of Are You Being Served? So they were doing Are You Being Served in the UK? And then they said, right. let's get in the bandwagon in the US as well at the same time. Right. Wow. Right. So Crazy. This, time slot, this time slot that it premiered on was the spot that previously was held by Good Times, who had just ended it, its run. You know, their series ended uh, in spring of 79. And so this slot was huge, open. Huge, huge, TV show. Yeah. Huge Norman Lear show. Yeah. Um, and so it had ended its run. This spot was open for specials and things like that. And so they, CBS took a swing with this pilot. Now it was up against a Roy Clark special. That spot would have normally be held by welcome back Cotter, but they had also finished their, their run for the year. The the, the show would continue. It sounds like this was a really pivotal time slot that opened up because good times ended because it was going for several years and uh, suddenly they had to fill it with something, and they said, what's that funny TV show I saw when I was in London? Oh, are you being served? Call those dudes and see if they can bring it over here. Right. Oh, my God. Right. And on, 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 on NBC, it was Chips, right? So you have – Chips was definitely the most popular – it was a popular show, and people would have tuned in for that. So you're getting people who would normally be watching Good Times and Welcome, or Welcome Back, Cotter, and you know, getting them to make a choice. So – what you know? What the audience had attracted at the beginning was is hard to say. 
But anyway, <laughs> May 5th, 1979, that week in the news, at the top of the Billboard 100 chart, it is Reunited by Peaches and Herb. And it feels so good. There you go. Thank you. And at the top of the UK singles chart was Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel. I don't know that one, so I won't sing it. I don't know. I don't know it either, right? Um, Elton John had just finished a mini tour of five shows in Israel, his first time touring in the country. Um, Margaret Thatcher was elected prime minister. See, I thought you would have led with that one. That's a big one. Okay. I'm trying to do the good news, bad news sandwich. Oh, I guess that would be bad news, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and then the Marshall Islands and Greenland became self-governing. Hooray! Yeah. That's cool. All right, so let's get into the show. Um, Do we have to? It starts, off with the, it starts off with the theme song, which is not our usual elevator music speech, but it's a brand new theme song written for the American version, and it tells the story. So if you listen to this theme song, you don't need to know the background. So they're not going to spend a lot of time in the show on exposition about what they're doing there. Basically the store has been around since 1888 and the visuals show how Boston has changed over the years and how buildings grew up around this department store that has not changed. And the store is going to meet its demise if sales don't approve. So we learn all of that through the theme song and the visuals, which is something that they used to do like Norman Lear, um, like Maud, you know, that TV show with uh, the late great B Arthur the entire theme song was like, this is Maud and this is who she is and this is her personality so that people would catch on like really quickly. And that was the hope, I guess, with the, with the pilot that, you know, you build the story and so you don't have to, it builds almost like a sense of familiarity to it. My friend Allison is a big stickler for TV theme songs and she is a big fan of the theme song acting in lieu of the pilot. So that if you know the theme song, you know yeah. the entire backstory. So she would not accept Maud as an acceptable um, pilot, Lou, uh, a substitute, because all it just tells you is that there are strong women in the world and Maud is a strong woman. Like you don't hear that she's four times divorced. You don't hear or the two of her husbands drop dead. You don't hear that she's got an adult daughter. Like, you don't hear any of that, right? No, that's a good point. No, I'm thinking what, of... What um, she, so what she would say would be acceptable would be Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The nanny. Because, because it's the, na the nanny. And uh, Charles in Charge. Because they give the entire pilot in 30 seconds of intro music. But this is also, you have to remember back then, this is almost a history of television, really, as we see in the YouTube uh, copy of this episode, uh, commercials were like 21 seconds or something, like 15 right. seconds, very, very fast. So they had a lot more time to tell the story. Uh, these days, commercials, they seem not quite half of the content, but um, if you watched like Modern Family, they'll have like a theme song that's like nine notes and that's it. They don't, they don't even have words right. anymore. Well, I mean, nowadays, a half-hour sitcom is really only 22 minutes of content because the other eight minutes are advertisements. Yeah. Back in 79, it was probably closer to five minutes of advertisements. Right. Yeah. By the way, if you would like to go and buy some of our lovely merchandise at the Bargain Basement, that's <laughs> imfree.threadless.com. Well-timed plug. 
can I just comment on how terrible the song is now that we've like oh. shat all over it? It's this old man who's singing. This building was built in 1888. It like the words don't rhyme, and it just of course it's a terrible VHS copy. But ugh, I'm glad. But I'm, there's yeah, mm. th- there's there's no tune. It's not catchy. You're not going to be singing it, humming it to yourself you know, on the bus or wherever, you know, it, it's not sticky. You know, I'm it's, going to be grateful that it was so bad because if if we go back and play Back to the Future, go back to 1979 and change one little thing, maybe it would have been picked up and there would have been this terrible American thing. Maybe they would have improved it and I don't know, but ugh, it's it's bad. So we feel your pain. I would have loved to have listened in on the focus group that – listened to the British theme song of the elevator music and like turned it down and said, no, we need something else. We need to know more about the store, about why it's in such bad shape, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Nah. Anyway. So we come back from our first c- commercial break, which is immediately after the theme song. And we start to meet the characters. We meet Frank Bean, who is played by Tom Poston, who is best known for playing George on Newhart. Um, the Bob Newhart's best friend. Oh, right. But he guested on every single sitcom in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like, if you turned on The Love Boat or whatever, he yeah, was on. Yeah, I've seen right? him a lot. And if you, you, his voice is very recognizable. So he's he's basically like young Mr. Grace in this show, right? That's right. So he's the young Mr. Grace character. And he definitely plays up the age because he is not this old and not this feeble. And you could see, you know, he's naturally got a very neutral New England accent. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it makes sense that he is, you know, from from Boston and been there forever. Uh, and so, but he is, you know, uh, playing up the the elderly, feeble, a little bit in his physicality, and sometimes when he, you know, leans over or like can't get up off the chair. Uh, but he's definitely playing older. I think Tom Poston, Poston was um, probably in his late forties, early fifties at least, at, at the most. Like he wasn't an old old guy. That was like a, a white wig. Oh yeah, right? no, he was definitely in age prosthetics to uh, uh, for that. Um, we also meet his nephew Franklin Bean, who was played by George O'Hanlon Jr. Uh, he was Ned on the Hardy Boys uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, and he'd later go on to play Sergeant Rafferty on Jake on the Fat Man, uh, a um, crime procedural in the 80s. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. His father was probably well more known because his father was the voice of George Jetson. Oh my God, that's kind of cool. I love George Jetson. Yeah, that's a nice little Jane, fact how do you stop he... this crazy thing? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uncle Bean pulls out the sales chart and it's this comically long uh, dropping to the floor where we see uh, just a continual spike downwards. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Furniture, china, glassware, bathroom fixtures are all up and ladies and gents are down. And we see uh, Uncle Bean getting out of the chair on the ground and pointing to where, you know, driving down the point. I have to say it was okay. weird when he didn't say bathroom fittings. Bathroom fittings, yeah. Right? I was wanting that to come out of his mouth. Um, but, you know, it, this was very hopeful. It was a good sight gag to get in early. Um, however, we don't have much more of these. They are <laughs> to, desperate. To They're grasping the at straws already. Yeah. Um, Dana House, uh, who plays Ingrid, the new secretary, comes in. She had several bit parts on The Love Boat, Starsky and Hutch, The Fall Guy, The Dukes of Hazard, basically your eight, entire 80s nighttime lineup. 
Um, she is not Scandinavian. She is from Texas. See, I thought she was trying to be German or something. Uh, yes, German, right, because we get, you know, not to spoil the plot, in case you haven't <laughs> seen the show, but it, it, but it, it is essential to uh, the plot that she is German because it's German week. Yeah, but you can tell it's really not her accent and that she's putting on airs because it doesn't really sound... It's It could be Swedish, it could be German, it could be Catalan, maybe? I don't know, it's just, it's not... <laughs> not from boston and it's It's not uh, from boston and it's not from germany right i feel like the benchmark of fake german accents is um inga swenson on benson right when she paid um what was her character's name oh i don't know the show (laughs) helga my entire brain is are you being served and nothing else (laughs) i think that she did a very serviceable german accent but uh Ingrid, the new secretary, does not. Uh, old Mr. Bean has a new secretary because the old secretary complained of wandering hands. Okay, so we're going to get to see that Mr. Bean is going to be a little bit of a lech like young Mr. Grace. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much they're going to be able to turn this up for comedy like they were able to do on the original series. And, you know, we've talked about the appeal and the non-appeal of young Mr. Grace. We won't even talk about old Mr. Grace. That's a tragedy. Um, But I think part of the humor, which is misogynistic, and there's a lot of problems as we've talked about at length, but the fact that young Mr. Grace was, he was only like 70-something, but he looked like he was 95. There's something uh, a little bit not as alarming about a 95-year-old little... 100 pound man um talking about all the sexy women in his office this guy isn't a 95 looking 100 pound man he's you know 40 40 50 years old uh they've made him play he's playing 70 yeah but it's there's there's something and, and i think um the actor who played young mr grace in the original series like he was kind of sweet and he had this very soft spoken you don't get that with this character. So when you remove yeah. those layers from young Mr. Grace, the sweet, soft-spoken, like he was so old, sometimes you were hopeful that he would get the line out, you know? If you remove all of that, <laughs> suddenly all of the misogyny and like the lechery and um, just is a bit creepy, you know? Yeah. Um, so young Mr. Bean has a surprise on how to improve sales and old Mr. Bean jokes that he hopes it's not like motorizing the revolving doors. So I think here we start to break one of the cardinal rules of television, which is show us, don't tell us. They rely, old Mr. Bean goes on to explain about how the customer got hurt and is going to sue, but you're describing what could be a sight gag and it's not impactful. You know, it's so unimpactful that I have no memory of that entire scenario. At all. Like, I, I don't remember this whatsoever. So. Well, we learned that we learned that nephew's job is on the line because the company motto is, if at first you don't succeed, you're out on your butt. <laughs> so unlike the dynamic between young Mr. Grace and Rumbold, Uncle Bean is readily exposing the incompetence of his nephew, right? Because Rumbold was not a competent apartment manager. And young Mr. Grace would threaten him from time to time, but... Whenever Rumbold had a quick story that he came up with or that Captain Peacock fed him, 
young Mr. Grace at least believed it or like didn't pay attention. But right out of the gate, yeah. old Mr. Bean says, knows my nephew is not, has not been good at this job and that he's been here for a couple months. This is the last straw. Yeah, it was, it's a little strange because, I mean, these two characters essentially are young Mr. Grace and Mr. Rumbold, right? Yep. But now it's old Mr. Bean and young nephew Bean or whatever. Um, right. There was something about Rumbold, um, Nicholas Smith, that he had this great personality. And, uh, of course, you know, it's, it's hard to remove. Like, we, these characters are endeared, endeared to us. But there is something about him maybe wearing those, those, those executive suits and things that definitely made him feel like he and Mr. Grace were of one mind. That they were it was these guys mm-hmm. against everyone else. But it's weird yep. to see these two folks kind of antagonizing each other, um, which maybe it's more American. I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many ways we can look at this comparing the the UK versus the American version of this episode. Um, well, I, I think that I think that you hit upon the other cardinal rule, which I talk about all, so often on this podcast. Is we that know the heart know. of the heart. <laughs> the heart <laughs> of comedy is conflict, and they're setting up the conflict from the beginning between Uncle Bean and Nephew Bean, and very little conflict with the either among the rest of the staff or the rest of the staff versus Uncle Bean, and so there's not really anywhere for that to go. I think the other thing that why we're so endeared to Mr. Rumbold is because he's bumbling. I think that's a great way to describe his incompetence, where Nephew Bean, Franklin Bean, isn't a bumbling character. He's not stumbling over his own mistakes or like misunderstanding the entire plot of anything somebody says. He's just making bad executive decisions. <laughs> no, that's a very good right? point. I think you bring up a good point there. Um, with with Nicholas Smith, he does bumbling and like he, he he has such outward confidence that he's like executive upper yes. middle management, you know, and he yes. knows how blah blah blah, and he's probably worked there for years. The character and the guy who played him, I mean, you know, I think we kind of want to peel back the curtain a little bit and talk about pilots a little because. The guy who plays young Mr. Bean or whatever you want to call yep. him, Franklin Jr. or whatever, he just comes across like, okay, I know this isn't going to be picked up. It's a pilot. I have four other pilots because I think they have pilot season in L.A. Maybe they do around the yep. world where all these people yep. get together and you try to get a job and da-da-da. Um, he just seems to be sort of phoning it in, you know? Like he doesn't really give it all his all he's got maybe if it was a different uh, a different actor the character could have been more interesting but he just seemed like well gosh uncle bean i really hope we do better i'll give it all i can what do you say you know it just doesn't work i think reading into it also the actor was probably intimidated working with stars like tom poston john hillerman charlotte ray who were well known um by that time and you know he was a teenage character on um a show a couple years ago you know he would definitely be c-list in 1979 Mm. so i i I agree i think that he phoned it in um next we meet uh shirley brahms who is played by lorna patterson uh best known as private jet benjamin from the tv series not the movie but uh 
the, the TV series. Uh, and she was also the stewardess in Airplane. And okay. she plays Shirley Brahms like a dumb blonde. It's what you'd expect the American take on Whitney Richards' character to be, right? Because in her own way, British Miss Brahms was a little bit of a dumb blonde in that she was East End, un- she was uneducated, right? Yeah. But she had street smarts, whereas uh, the way that American Miss Brahms is played is vapid airhead. Yeah, I thought of Three's Company. She's a little Chrissy Snow. Like Suzanne yeah. Summers and like the other one that they're just sort of like always smacking gum and like always smiling and, you know, like putting their head back and forth so that their pigtails flop around or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of I I hear myself saying this a lot on this episode already. It's just not like the UK. Well, no, it's yeah. not. That's so this is a problem. Anytime you have like um, a remake of um God, like they're talking about remaking Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as a live action Disney film. But it, it happens whenever you have an old beloved film. Like, let's say, um, uh, oh, what's the, the one with the, the, the nun in Switzerland? Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Everyone loves Sound of Music. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. Okay? So, Sound of Music, a quintessential film, quintessential acting, quintessential actresses. Um, if they said, we're going to remake Sound of Music, it's everyone knows the characters, they know the film, they know the, the acting, um, they know the writing so well, there's no way that would be successful unless a very special person did it because we're expecting those people to be the same in the remake as the original. And that's what we're doing here. We're like, I well, think you're exactly right. You're, you're, you're spot on. I think that's why all those Saturday night musicals that NBC has been making have flopped. Because they are expecting the audience to view them for what they are as individuals and not a rebroadcast of the original. And that's not what the audience is hungry for. They want all of the nostalgia and all the feelings they felt whenever they see the original. So when you're doing that, you have to twist the remake so much that it stands out. And I, I think that's... That's one of the reasons why I think Hairspray the movie the second time or the Hairspray the movie based on the musical was so popular because it's so different from the original John Waters Hairspray from the from the um, early 90s. Or like uh, Willy Wonka, you know, with Gene Wilder, like what a classic, beautiful Absolutely. film, loved it. They redid it with Johnny Depp and it was much more close to the to the book, to the actual to, book, to which the book. was the original telling of the story. Yeah. Um, it was wildly different, so it didn't feel like it was encroaching on their territory, essentially. Yeah. But with Are You Being Served, like the, we've been talking ad nauseum about this for hundreds and hundreds of hours now. Um, it feels almost like an attack because we we feel like we own these characters. They're our friends. Yeah. So now they're trying to take these people and recast them with different actors who are going to do it differently. So it's just a weird thing, which makes me wonder, could American audiences not just be shown season one of Are Being Served in 1979 from the UK? Maybe the rights didn't work. Maybe they thought like all those weird little uk jokes that we've spent so much time dissecting and explaining maybe that would have been too weird for audiences so let's just make the show different in american you know um, americanize it 
here's the thing. There is virtually no sexual innuendo in these, in the American show, which is what is the heart of the comedy of the, of the original UK series. Mm. And none of that would have flown at 8.30 on a Saturday night on CBS, the most conservative of the three networks at the time. Well, it's interesting you said that. So we, when I was researching, I found um, a fellow on YouTube called Stephen Capsuto, C-A-P-S-U-T-O. So you go check him out. He has a really cool YouTube channel where he talks about um, LGBT history and television. So it's really neat. He says... Um, this episode, and I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but the fellow who plays Mr. Humphreys, Alan Sues, he says that the actor was a little bit over the top as Mr. Humphreys. And Sues was in uh, Ro- uh, The Laugh-In Show, and he was like very sissy and kind of gay. But there was something about maybe that time slot that was so like family-friendly, good times, like, you know... Mm-hmm. Maybe he was a little bit too gay. Yeah. I think I speak for all of us when um, Alan Sues was not camp enough. He should have gone full on Paul Lind with this. And <laughs> I think that's what would have made the Humphreys character really stand they out. They should have had you know, Paul because, Lind do it. I mean, my God. I mean, it's, you know, it, this is basically the Mr. Humphreys show. And Mr. Humphreys was not the breakout character that he could have been. All attention should have been on Mr. Humphreys for the majority of time, and it wasn't. Um, So here's my hot take. Okay. Um, John Hillerman, who played Mr. Peacock, I think probably did the best job with the character he was given. So John Hillerman is best known for playing Higgins, the British caretaker of the estate on Magnum P.I., uh, and he was also the grandfather on the last season of the Hogan family. Okay. So with with Mr. Peacock, he does the stoic, straight man foil to the comedy that Captain Peacock consistently does. But he does it in a, in a way where he, he is in on the joke. A couple of times you'll think that in Captain Peacock, the joke has gone over his head. But with Mr. Peacock in the American series, he's clearly on the joke, but he's got dry and raw cranked up to 11. And I thought that he did the best job interpreting the character for American audience. No, that's a good good point. Um, at one point, when one of the jokes in the original series was... Um, how does it feel to have such power? I think Mr. Harmon says to, to Captain Peacock. How do you feel? How does it feel to have such power, Captain Peacock? And then Captain Peacock says, "Frightening." You know, like he is on the. Job. But he's earnest about it. Yeah, he's earnest about that, right? Whereas, where I feel like if John Hillerman were given the same line, he would put just enough deadpan into it that you know he's being sarcastic, but it doesn't come out being saccharinely sarcastic. Here's my hot take. I'll do a hot take on that hot take. Does that make it a cold take? I don't know. Um, (laughs) People who have mustaches can be subtly sassy in ways that people without mustaches cannot. I agree. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. That was settled. Good. (laughs) Um, Charlotte Ray plays Mrs. Slocum, Obviously known and loved as Edna Garrett on Different Strokes and the Facts of Life. Girls! And she 
she or the customer make the decision not to give her an outrageous hairdo, okay, it's the pilot. You can't really shock uh, Joe and Betty Beer Can with you know outrageous <laughs> hair because it won't play along with that kind of blue rinse um, older woman stereotype that uh, Molly Sugden went after. Yeah, I noticed that she didn't have um, Mrs. Slocum's fabulous hairdo, like the, the magenta or whatever. But if you think about it, I wonder if that's a UK thing because they started in 1971, right? This is 1979. So if you think about the 70s, we've changed essentially a decade. We've changed from Europe or the UK to Los Angeles, let's say. Um, I wonder if maybe people in the 50s who at that time would have been, you know, getting older in the 70s, who used to make their hair blue. I wonder if that happened maybe in the UK and it didn't in the US because we're both Americans. Oh, okay. I don't remember my parents talking about people dyeing their hair blue or whatever. Uh, so maybe that was just something cultural that just didn't come over, you know? Yeah. And the idea of having frills and a uniform and all of that, nothing like that was happening. So that's right. maybe one of those Americanizations, yeah. who knows? Um, we see a little bit of friction between Mr. Peacock and Mrs. Slocum. Uh, he starts, because he's introducing Miss um, Brahms around as the new staff, um, and, but he, he starts out by complimenting Mrs. Slocum about how, what a good salesperson she is, and she's such a good at de uh, the department. But then um, he goes right into, she's been here so long she practically came with the building. <laughs> right, so we get the, we get a hint that there's a little bit there, and she volleys it right back to him with like, "Oh, stuff it, Mister Peacock!" Yeah. Right, she pays him no mind. So again, this whetted my appetite. I was like, "Okay, maybe this is going to have some teeth, and we're going to see more of that conflict, that that, that um, yeah. friction that's so entertaining." You've gone right up um, my nose, Captain Peacock. Like I really wanted her to say that, right? Right. Um, we do get um, we do get the bit of Mrs. Slocum's um, eyelash glue not being dry, and she does a little bit of physicality there. We do get a Mr. Peacock, are you free, out of Mrs. Slocum. <gasps> so that was a great little hat tip to the uh, to the UK uh, version. But then, the like, Alan Sues, the Mr. Humphreys character, he should have said that, or he should have answered back or something. Maybe, maybe yeah. John Inman. Oh, you know what? I bet you John Inman probably said... Um, I wonder if he tried to copyright I'm Free or something. Maybe... No, that wouldn't... Well, I mean, he had that song that he put out, but I don't think he would have been able to copyright But I wonder if um, he said, like, if you use that line, the Mr. Humphreys character cannot use it, otherwise I won't do another season of the original series. I could see John Inman I doing doubt that. very much. I doubt very much he would, he would do that. What do we think of uh, Mr. Humphreys' character? As I said earlier, I think that Alan Sues could have gone way more camp, you know, because I think there was, there's, there was an appetite for it. We had um, Paul Lind, we had all of the characters that Alan Sues played on Laughing that always got raucous applause. Um, we, he 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 got a, he got a he got a couple of good one-liners in, but they they didn't go far enough for my taste. And this is also one episode, so had this been expanded right, into right. A, a couple of years, who knows what would have been developed. But that's the thing with pilots. You get one little chance, and like you try to imagine what, what this could become. But um, if you listen to the, to the audience, 
I was going to say laugh track, but it's a live audience. Um, when they say, are you free, Mr. Peacock? I'm free. They clap. So I wonder if they did know about like, oh, this is are you being I've served. I've got to go back and listen to that. I, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. So a lot of times, um, like when Mr. Humphreys uh, comes in, people clap because it's the Mr. Humphrey show over in the UK. But here... You know, so I wonder how much the American audiences knew about Are You Being Served. If you're, you know, um, slightly older than 30, let's say, audience, um, <laughs> unanimous, uh, and you were around in 1979 and you kind of knew what was going on, let us know. Like, back then before, you know, in the U.S., PBS aired Are You Being Served in the 90s, early 90s. And that's how it seems like this entire crop of people know about the show. But before that, did people in the U.S. know about Are You Being Served? That's a good question. If you know, let us know. Yeah. We get to meet the other two characters. Uh, Mr. Lucas is played by Larry Bishop, who is son of Rat Packer Joey Bishop. Oh. Uh, and he had some bit parts on The Dukes of Hazard, Barnaby Jones, Laverne and Shirley, right? Um, he made a bold character choice to give Mr. Lucas a bad New York accent. And I started to wonder yeah. how come no one is speaking with the Boston accent, with that Boston Boston Brahmin like accent. If this is supposed to be old guard Boston that the store hasn't changed since eighteen eighty eight, where is that? Yeah. Hold on to that thought because okay. we do get Charlotte Ray attempting a bad one a little <laughs> bit later on. Uh, and then we get uh, Morgan Farley who plays Mr. Granger who had some bit parts on Barnaby Jones, Phyllis, and Star Trek, right? So okay. we've met the entire, we've met almost the entire cast, right? All right. Um, we, we, we got a, a, repeti- a couple of repetition of jokes that we were expecting right. from yeah, the yeah. UK, uh, where um, Mr. Humphreys says, well, my socks have been moving very slowly, and then Granger feebly spits out, and very li- little has been happening in my trousers. And then, of course, the, Mrs. Slocum says, and nothing's, my underwear has been down for months, which is another joke, right? right? So Mr. Humphreys is giving the reactions to those. He's giving the wide-eyed reactions, but he's only doing facial takes. He's doing mugs. He's not yeah. actually spitting back a line. Where, whereas we know that the John Inman uh, character would have, you know, had something very raucous to say, right? So um, we, we finally get to the crux of the episode where uh, young nephew Franklin Bean is going to introduce a German week in order to improve sales because all of the other stores have done similarly themed weeks. Saks had Italian week and Bloomingdale's had Oriental week and Goldberg's had an Irish week. And lame okay. joke. <laughs> blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. We, we, we do see Alan Sue's going for um, one of the bits that John Inman does in terms of changing his voice. He's, you know, that motorcycle ride ruined my hair. Phone rings, menswear. So we do see that. The audience reacts to it. I so remember they, has... they reacted very uh, vociferously yeah. then, yes. Yeah. And then Mr. Lucas is giving young Mr. Franklin some tips on how to get Miss Brahms' attention because they're both vying <laughs> for the romantic intentions. This is so cute. Walk by a side, Mr. Humphrey go, Mr. Humphreys goes, well, there goes my ride home. You know, and so th- this is really <laughs> the first time that we see like anything even questionably gay in terms of the humor with Mr. Humphreys. Up until then, he was just you know, camp and 
you know, limp-wristed, let's say. But here's where we actually start to get a hint of, oh, his sights were set on making a move or, you know, quote-unquote, having a crush or whatever well, on either it's Mr. Lucas or young Mr. Bean. If you didn't pay close attention, you could have missed the joke. So um, Mr. Lucas is trying to teach Mr. Rumbold. I'm just going to use their proper names. I can't do the American. <laughs> um, essentially, so he's trying to, like, teach him how to look smoldering, like a, a, an alluring gaze. So it's very strange because yep. he's looking towards the women's department, and then Mr young Mr. Beam, Bean guy, is looking back at him practicing. Two straight guys wouldn't do that in a shop. I'm sorry. Call right. me crazy. Right. So then it looks like they're coming on to each other. And then Mr. Humphreys walks by and like, well, there goes my ride, thinking that these guys are going to connect <laughs> and, you know, go back behind the bandstand. So, um, but, you know, like like the guy from YouTube was saying, um, uh, what was it, Stephen Capsudo, I think this is probably too gay, which is another reason why, like, in 1979, think of, like, the um, Harvey Milk had just been killed and the Briggs Initiative, and, like, it wasn't a good, you know, lots of stuff were happening. Um, yeah. Would would the network want to be, was it CBS? Yeah, would CBS want to take on a gay character? Like, when did Soap happen? Soap had a gay character with Billy Crystal. Um, I think that was maybe 79. But Soap was on ABC. ABC, yeah. okay. So, but, I mean, I remember him saying that he really worried about his career, you know? No. So maybe this was also canceled or not picked up because of the gay component, which, you know, if you yeah. read anything about Possibly. queer theory within media, um, like the celluloid closet, you know, it was it was really, really risky. It's, 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 it's easy to forget that these days. But 1979 was a long time ago. <laughs> Things have changed a lot. Um, and we meet the final character of the cast, um, Don Bexley, who plays Mr. Johnson, who is the maintenance Mr. Mash or Mr. Harmon character. And he's best known for playing Bubba on Sanford and Son, Grady, and Sanford Arms. Uh, and we get the bit about um, re respect about either calling someone by their last name only or Mr. Right. in front of us, so we get that bit. And I have to say, the, the, the first, it was refreshing that he was the first person of color in the, on the team, right? He's a black yep. American actor. I don't know most of the shows. I know, I've heard of Sanford is not, I don't know the characters, but... Well, um, the, the other two, the other two are the um, sequels to Sanford. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then we get all the bits about them inspecting the German goods, the later hosen. Uh, I'm not selling German mm. sex panties, Bustenhalter, etc. Right? Yeah, and I noticed on this section where they would say um, sex, sex Kleiderhosen or whatever, um, six six sex briefs. What do they call it? You know, like those d German week jokes and stuff, um, where the UK audience laughed because they say sex underhosen, laugh, 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 laugh. Um, the American audience just didn't get it. Like, it, it, the jokes just didn't fall, yeah. you know? So I wonder if, you know, maybe... I, I wonder if not only were they not picked up, were Jeremy Lloyd and David Croft like, this obviously doesn't work with Americans. It's not flying, yeah, right. Yeah, it could be either way, but... Um, Why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break and see what uh, Beans of Boston has to serve for lunch? I imagine some baked beans, but we will see. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Hey, we're back from our tea break, or should I say coffee break. <laughs> um, we went down to, in an honor, at great expense, unanimous, we, we do it all for you. We had our uh, recording compound knock out the canteen replica and build in a uh, 1979 era's McDonald's um, just for this episode, <laughs> for, for, for continuity's sake. Um, so I had a... Uh, quarter pounder with cheese with extra special sauce and a cool coca-cola what did you have mr jeff <laughs> well i didn't like what they had on offer in the cafeteria uh, they were just serving new england clam chowder so yeah, i went around good. the corner to regina pizzeria and got a slice there um okay it sounds very american doesn't it suddenly all of a sudden Reg- regina pizzeria is a famous pizzeria in the north end the italian section of boston well done you you get a ding gladys like that <laughs> So where the hell were we with this not-so-great-yet-interesting-to-compare episode? So uh, we get a lot of the same tropes that we saw in the original German Week episode or elsewhere, right? Um, Miss Brahms brings in the sales report for the day. Oh, $1,295. That's good. No, $12.95. Mr. Granger only sold one pair of strumps. Those were my strumps, right. (laughs) Um, Old Mr. Bean has got to get to the club. Oh, you mean the golf club? No, the strip club. It's amateur night, right? <laughs> blah, blah. Um, we have an evening time conference. Uh, uh, oh, it's the kraut word for socks. Well, you're not anti-German, are you? And we get Mrs. Slocum telling the story about being f- thrown flat on her back. So here's where Charlotte Ray attempts a Boston accent with... Um, being th- being thrown flat on my back in a French farmyard, right? Tries oh. it. But that's the only word we get out of the entire show that sounds remotely Boston. It's funny because right? I didn't even recognize that word. And again, yeah. you have to remember that it is a VHS copy we were all watching and it's not the best. Um, it's strange too because I don't I, – I think I'm, – I'm certain that the facts of life were after this was filmed. Yes, so, but, that's but true. I remember the facts of life as a kid because I'm, you know, I'm young, but not as young as I used to be. But I remember facts of life, and I remember Mrs. Garrett as this this woman who's somehow a uh, imposter as Mrs. Slocum for me. So, <laughs> right for her, I don't know. It, it's one of those things when you have uh, an iconic actress or actor doing a role that's very important to you, and then you see something from their earlier time. It's hard to divorce the idea. That that's Mrs. Garrett from The Facts of Life. But she isn't. This is before that. So my brain doesn't like Here's it. Here's the thing. I don't know it I don't know if maybe this is a skill that Charlotte Ray learned or later on. But Mrs. Garrett kind of spoke with almost a transatlantic accent. Like it wasn't turned up the way that Lucy Ricardo did it, but she had that transatlantic accent. And I think that if she had used that that could have at least faked or passed for Boston the way that young, that old Uncle Bean sounded very, <laughs> old um, Uncle Bean. very, oh, uh, uh, very New England. You know? So it's funny you say that because, about mid Atlantic accents because I was just talking about that last night. Can you give like an idiot's guide to mid Atlantic accents really quickly? To the, the, tra- the transatlantic accent? Yes, transatlantic, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. All right. So, um, the transatlantic accent was used in the forties and fifties as a way to 
make sure that um, American actor, actors and actresses sounded as neutral as possible. You didn't want people who were fresh off the farm from Kansas to speak with the twang, and you didn't want people who were raised on the East Coast to speak with their East Coast. You know, Hollywood invented this accent that sounded somewhat neutral, but also a little bit more refined. So they borrowed a lot of vowel qualities from received pronunciation in British, which wouldn't naturally occur in any dialect of American. <laughs> yeah. There was something about appealing, you know, American accents sounded too harsh in the UK. Mm. So if, if Hollywood American actresses and actors didn't said, how are you? You know, how are you? Right? It's a little bit softer. And there, the idea was a film could play a little better in the UK because they thought the R sound was too harsh. Mm. And there's also something about the upper class New England folks like Catherine Hepburn. If you watch an old Catherine Hepburn, how are you? You know, that's how she would how she would talk. Um, mm-hmm. There's something about like people in the 30s, 40s and 50s uh, typically portrayed on film were of the higher echelon of society. Wasn't like the working class, really. So they tended to have that kind of putting on airs kind of accent. But what's interesting about the transatlantic accent, it doesn't exist anymore. And there's something about um, it went out in the 60s. And I wonder if. The reason was the youth culture, the youth movement, didn't want to sound like their parents used to watch their their films that my mom and dad used to watch. I don't like, I don't know, something with uh, Betty, Daddy Davis. She kind of did that. But I don't want to do that. I want to be young and different. I'm going to be unique. But it's a weird thing that we don't have anymore. Yeah. So, And whenever you do see it pop up, it immediately harkens back you know that this is supposed to be either a take on the 40s and 50s or it's something like that in fact if you watch the family guy um lois's mom and dad especially the mother has a transatlantic accent because she's very wealthy and very rich so that's a tell like oh this is who this person is in society and right because there's there are old school rhode island right off the mayflower you know, went right from Plymouth Rock to, you know, <laughs> to Newport, Newport, Rhode Island. Right. And so they, they, you know, they use that transatlantic accent as a stand in for, um, you know, people of that, of that region wouldn't have a Boston Brahmin accent, but they'd have something that sounds a little bit more educated, the a quality, more snooty, the quality. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we get a lot of recycled jokes. Um, uh, he was looking for something with broad shoulders and Harris Tweed. Aren't we well, all? Aren't we, all. <laughs> um, we get Miss Brahms trying to tighten her corset and Mr. Peacock's finger getting caught. Okay, seen that um, before. Mrs. Slocum samples all of the German wine. Um, Mr. <laughs> Peacock is getting a lot of air and not a lot of authority. Um <laughs> And we, we do see Alan Sue's wearing the short, short later hosen, just like John Inman would. Yeah. Which was nice to see. Um, I love that we get to see drunk Mrs. Slocum, which our... Uh, we get to see drunk Mrs. Slocum. Our friend yeah. Henrika in the Netherlands uh, will be very happy to learn uh, that we see drunk Mrs. Yeah. Slocum. And then she, she kind of falls down... Well, she doesn't fall. She kind of like slithers down the stairs from the lift, from the elevator. We can say elevator now. Yeah. And she's singing like a Marlena Dietrich 
song. And she has this very deep voice like Marlena. I didn't know what song it was, but I knew she was imitating Marlena Dietrich because that's who that's exactly right. she would have thought as a German, right? Yep, she was singing a German love song called Lily Marlene, oh, okay. which Marlena Dietrich made, made popular. Uh, and we get we get the first conflict between Mr. Lucas and Mrs. Slocum where he goes, oh, so that's what happened to Shirley Temple. <laughs> you know, unlike the UK series where they were the ones who were always at odds, we only see one little snippet of that here, right? Um, yeah. Old Mr. Bean comes down the elevator to witness the, the dance, and it is the same choreographed dance as the UK, and Peacock and Slocum get into the same slap fight, although it's a little bit more drawn out, you know, um, in terms of you're supposed to go like that, not like that. Yeah. And I think that Charlotte Ray and John Hillerman could have used some fight choreography here <laughs> because their slaps are not connecting. Right, she's very clearly hitting him on the neck or the shoulder. Yeah, but I mean, this is also um, um, Frank Thornton and Molly Sugden. That was what maybe the first season. No, uh, German Week was not the first season. Was it the German second Week or was, third? It, it wasn't their first time out of the gate. Yeah, so that's so, my point. Like they, they yeah. were very they they knew how each other worked. Um, when you do a television show, I imagine you get to know the people very well. Because uh, you spend a lot of time with them, and they were um, more comfortable than these people who were doing it probably for the third or fourth time ever, maybe because yeah. of rehearsals. So it's it's really it's tough to compare these two things again, as I keep saying. But um, yeah, it was. It but didn't we're really... we're doing a good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at the end of the slap fight. Um, Mrs. Slocum somehow knocks into Franklin, um, the young Mr. Bean, young Mr. Bean. And, he, and he falls into the wine cart. Oh, no. And I don't think that we got a lot of physical comedy with Mr. Rumbold. You know, he used to get like a pie in the face or something like that. Everyone's or like the 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 wine, the Japanese tin champagne poured over his head, <laughs> but he was not slapstick. He wasn't doing pratfalls. Yeah. Um, Franklin immediately resigns. He knows that he's made a mess of it, and his uncle is never going to trust him. But uh, Uncle Bean says not to to be too hasty because Ingrid liked the dance because she was homesick. Okay. So Mister Bean is feeling a change of heart. Uh, the because his new secretary has decided to stay. So Franklin must be doing something right because he's making his uncle happy. And then the show ends with everybody continuing to dance. But it was a little creepy too because old Mr. Bean said, well, it may have been a bad week for sales, but it's going to be a good week for me. Which is like, what? Because you're going to fuck the young lady you're, ta- you're dancing with? Like, that's well, kind of... They've got, right? they've got reservations at Romano's, which is another... You know, joke or bit that is uh, copied over. Well, at least Romano's is still open. We don't know about Beppo. We don't know about Beppo's. Too. Yeah, exactly. We would have learned that in episode two, perhaps. But yeah, yeah. And then they ended, and I have to say, I was glad when it ended. Yeah, um, yeah, and it it did not get picked up, um, and it's really no mystery why. And we've just talked for about an hour about why. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to revise what I said. I'm glad this exists. I, yes. it, it's not already being served. It literally isn't, you know. Um, it's it, How many times do you love a television show? And the folks who made it in, in the same era 
decide to make it in a different country with a different culture and you get to compare and contrast. That's what we got to do tonight. Uh, yeah. So I'm. it's easy to shit on it and say, oh, it's terrible. Da, da, da. But, you know, it, this is, you know, like if, if the word hot and the word cold, you know more about the other when the other one exists, you know. Is this hot? Oh. Well, no, it's not. But if you have something really cold, now that hot feels a little hotter. And you know there's a frame of reference, right? We have that with this with this episode. That sounds very, very um, high, highly spoken, doesn't it? Oh, oh thank you. Very, oh. very educated hot take on this. So <laughs> if, we were, if we were to take the relativism out, would this have been able to stand on its own? And I'm going to say no, because I think your average American audience was not familiar with the original wouldn't be able to wouldn't have been able to appreciate the humor of the original and this just it 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 wasn't funny and appealing in any audience it wasn't either slapstick enough it wasn't sexual innuendo enough it wasn't camp enough it wasn't conflicting enough and i think that cbs knew it i don't think that cbs really had a lot of hope in it because it stuck it on a saturday night in the beginning of may in a slot that had previously been held by a very successful long-running show, you know, it was, yeah, let's take a swing and maybe it'll get picked up, but I don't think they were really backing it too hard. Yeah, and now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, I I am thankful this exists because it allows me to, uh, what is the term? It's it's like when you have a, a quirk about yourself and you don't know until you go to therapy and have someone who's a third party impartial listen to the way you say and they ask questions about whatever issue you have and they don't have the internal voices in your own head that you do. So it's very easy to 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 look at, at stuff things. So somehow that makes sense in my brain with this TV show. But um, there's something about 1971 to 1979 moving from the UK to the US to Los Angeles, I'm assuming, that part of the appeal, I think, to the original audience of Are You Being Served in the UK was there's a lot of old fuddy-duddies in the country. Our yep. parents were probably fuddy-duddies. They listened to uh, oh, uh, the woman who played the piano on the the records that we talked about. And Engelbert Harper Day. Yeah, and, and like, you know. Lawrence Welk. Lawrence yeah. Welk, yeah, yeah. Are being served as making fun of these old school, very regimented, like, I remember the wall. You know, I remember before the wall. That's true. That's and so then true. Comparing That's... that with like 1971 f- Fun Girl Friday, whatever, Mr. Lucas. And then, so then you say, okay, nine years later to eight years later, we're going go to go to, to Los Angeles. You can't have any of that because. That doesn't. I, I even if you started the the t- television series in the UK in '79, I think a lot of that would have gone away. That's exactly what the theme song promised us, right? The theme song promised us this store has been around since 1888, and it's stuck in its ways. And if it doesn't modernize and catch up, it's going to meet its end. And I don't think we got anything in the entire episode showing that the store was out of date. You know, it wasn't like they were showing these old fashions or old clothes that no one would want to buy or that the salespeople had a very antiquated way of dealing with customers. 
the the other thing that you know, not, not that this is an intellectual debate where I'm trying to disprove you, but <laughs> that was that's exactly the plot of the 2016 reboot, which we're going to talk about next week. Was that the store is is stuck in what is it takes place in the 90s and the store is stuck in the 80s? It's something along those lines. So, so I think I I think that that could work. You know, I don't think that I don't think that the American audience was so modern enough because I think we still had the generation gap in the late seventies. I mean, we still have a generation gap today with boomers versus millennials and Gen X being completely forgotten, and then here comes Gen Z. I think that's something that that is gonna that is gonna stand the test of time, and if played right, is a source of comedy because it's conflict. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've spent a little time in the UK. I'm not British. I'm American. Um, and this is very um, probably going out of my lane a little bit here. But I wonder if comparing American culture and British culture through the lens of already being served in 1971 or whatever, I wonder if back then there was something like you would see Mrs. Slocum's walking up and down the high street acting as if it's 1957. And expecting everyone to live like it was 1957. I wonder if there's something about American culture that that didn't exist here. I think if you compare British culture to American culture, very, very big brushstrokes here. I wonder if you would say uh, American culture embraces innovation and doesn't hold traditions. And this is the way things are done because that's the way things are done. Which it makes it easy to make fun of that in the UK television right but when you have the u.s because we have something we can compare and contrast to it doesn't really like mrs slocum like i don't think there were a lot of mrs slocums in los angeles in 1979 or boston for that matter compared to 1971 in the uk i don't know it's an interesting question no i'll give that to you i i would agree that the generation gap in london 1973 was a lot greater than the generation gap in 1979 Boston. The American generation gap existed. It, it, it wasn't non-existent. <laughs> so I want to go back to Stephen Capsudo, and I'm going to okay. try to tag his page, uh, his YouTube thing in the notes. Um, so thanks for your info, Mr. Stephen. Um, he mentions that, um, you know, when this originally aired on CBS on um, May 5th, 1979, it was, I think it just aired one time, right? And it, it was, he says here, it was common for networks to broadcast whole evenings of um, busted sitcom pilots, like things that were never picked up. Um, so apparently that is what happened here. Um, you have a bunch of pilots, you know, it's content. It's a Saturday night, nothing else to show. Make it a big thing and say there's a new show that we can watch. It's a special presentation. We got that graphic in the beginning letting us know this is a special. This isn't your normal Exactly. So yeah. the people watched that and some lucky person out there recorded it. And that's the only remaining copy ever, which you can find on YouTube. Um, but, I mean, that makes me think, wait a minute. He, he says they, they put these together and they call them like Comedy Playhouse. And I thought, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. That is exactly the way that Are, Are You Being Served, the original series, That's um, right. was given birth to on the BBC because they had 
uh, a network programming issue because something to do with the Olympics at the time and there was a right. terrorist act and they had nothing to do because they were going to show the Olympics. But they had right. this funny pilot off this silly show called Are You Being Served? They popped it in the machine, they broadcasted it, and people loved it. So I, it's almost like they're trying to see if they can lightning hit twice uh, in the second time being the U.S., and it didn't. Yep. So And it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. Um, what do we do uh, next time we get together with our unanimous friends on the podcast, Mr. Jeff? So next time we get together, we're going to talk about the 2016 reboot of Are You Being Served? Uh, that, uh, that was on the BBC. Uh, and then after that, we're going to talk about the Australian version. Now, the Australian version ran for two series. And all but one of the episodes were um, shoot-for-shoot remakes of the British So plots. we don't exactly need to cover every episode, do we? So we're not going to cover every episode. Um, the one episode that was unique, a unique script written for Australia, is not available in America. We don't have any way of watching it. Oh, the Attack so, of the Koala episode, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> unanimous, we're asking for one of two favors. One is if you know a way that we can watch the unique Australian episode, please let us know and then we'll recap it. Or vote for which of the Australian remakes of the British episodes you that are available you do want us to watch. Ooh, I do it. So we will put a post on our Facebook page and Twitter showing the titles and, and the thing. What do you know the name of the episode that uh is uniquely Australian? I forget. It's not. I, it's in my research notes for next week. Okay. Well, uh, we'll, we'll post um, something so. online. So, um, if anyone has an idea, you can reach out to us, and you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Yep. Yeah. Or you could write us an email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail dot com, or you can always call the Peacock hotline at six six two Peacock. That's six six two seven three two two six two five. And while you're at it. Go grab some merch at the Bargain Basement Shop at imfree.threadless.com. That's imfree.threadless.com. <laughs> Sell out. And with that, Mr. Brandon, you've all, you've all done, done very, very well. well. Bye, Unanimous. Goodbye. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served as a copyrighted program of the BBC. Any resemblance to actual jokes is purely coincidental.